Hey, thanks so much for listening to this message. My name is Jason, and I'm one of the ministers here at the Madison Church of Christ. It's our hope and prayer that the teaching you hear today will bless your life and draw you closer to God. If you're ever in the Madison area, we'd love for you to stop by and study the Bible with us on Sundays at 5 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you have questions about the Bible or want to know more about the Madison Church, you can find us online at madisonchurch.org. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast as well as our sermons podcast, Madison Church of Christ Sermons. Thanks again for stopping by. I hope this study is a blessing to you. We are blessed tonight to have with us uh, a man who is young and handsome, a uh, dynamic speaker, and was the last thing humble that you told me to say? Humble, very humble. Philip Hines from the Hartsville Church of Christ is with us tonight, and I could probably spend 10 minutes just talking about my love and appreciation for him. He's been such a dear family friend of ours for so many years. Uh, he's been at Hartsville for 42 years, 42 years, and anyone that can stay 42 years in a place and continue to be so loved, and I mean really and truly, the people there absolutely adore him. His ministry speaks for itself. His beautiful wife, Julia, is with him as well, and uh, we are just so thankful to have him with us tonight. He's going to be talking to us about something that's very, very important, and that's how to deal with guilt, and so I appreciate him being here with us tonight. We're going to go ahead and turn things over to you. I love and appreciate Brandon and his sweet family. I love and appreciate this church so much. Appreciate the invitation to be with you. I got a lot to say, so I want to get on my horse and ride, if you don't mind. Erasing guilt. In my ministry through the years, I have seen so many people, so many people whose lives have been just paralyzed by guilt. People who were not Christians and would not become Christians because of the guilt of the things that they had done in their life and said. People who were Christians, but even though they had been forgiven, were filled so much with guilt that they were spiritually paralyzed. I've seen that so often in my life. I see it so often in many of us, and, and, and we live a life of if only. If only I knew back then what I know now. Or if only I could go back and erase the past. Boy, that would be so good. If I could just simply, somehow, some way, start all over again. If I just listened to whoever it might have been, life would have been better. The devil wants to paralyze each and every one of us. And one of his ways of doing it is by paralyzing us with guilt. And the reason he does that is because many times we don't understand about God's mercy and God's grace and God's forgiveness. But he comes into your life and my life, and if he can get you so filled with guilt because of the past in your life, even though you have been forgiven, then we just come, we sit on the pew, and we think, you know, I'm no good to anybody. How in the world could God use me? Well, you look at that past. You look at the things that, that I've done in my life. 
And there's simply no way that God could use me. Folks, we all have regrets in life. We all make mistakes. We all fumble the ball. We all say things and we all do things that we shouldn't say and we shouldn't do. And Paul reminds us of this in Romans 3 and verse 23. We all have sinned and we've come short of the glory of God. You know when you cut yourself physically, you bleed. And when you bleed, what do you do? You're going to stop the bleeding. Because you know it can be very dangerous to your health. And so you're going to react as fast as you can, and you're going to get that bleeding sock. It might be a, a quick Band-Aid. It might be going and getting some stitches, but you're going to get the bleeding stopped. Well, guilt is somewhat like a cut. You see, when we violate our conscience, then we have regrets. And that regret is just like blood that oozes from a cut. But here's the sad thing. We'll react and we'll stop the bleeding of a physical cut because we understand and we see the need to do so. But when our conscience is cut and we have the regrets in our life, too many times we just sit in our pews and we soak and we just have a self-pity party because of how our life used to be. And it shouldn't be that way. God doesn't want us to be that way. I love this passage here. Blessed, happy is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. God doesn't want you to be here tonight and be paralyzed spiritually because of, of, of your past. He wants us to understand His forgiveness, and He wants us to understand how happy it ought to be that our sins are covered. And because they're covered, God, as we'll see in just a moment, God has made a way for us to have an even far greater ministry in our life because of our horrible, terrible past. Now, why is it that Sometimes we're not happy. Why is it we don't feel that our sins have been forgiven, even though they have? Well, you can say this for the people there who have never accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you can say this for people who have. It's because we try to deal with the guilt in our own way. And we deal with guilt in our own way in many ways. But there are three big ways we try to deal with the guilt in our life. And they're the wrong ways. The first thing that we often do in our life because of our past is that we just simply try to bury it. We think if we can take all those things we've said and all those things that we've done and we can put them back here somewhere and we get some distance between us and them, that those will simply go away. And that's how a lot of people try to treat the guilt and the sin in their life. But here's the thing about guilt. You can't treat it that way. You can't get rid of it. You may think you can, but you can. It's like, to me, one of those old horror movies I remember as a boy watching. You know, where their wife would kill her husband and bury him out in the backyard, and then the next night he would come up, you know, and haunt her again, she'd kill him again, and, and over and over. Well, that's the way it is with guilt. When you try to stick guilt somewhere back in the back, and you bury the past, it'll always come back to haunt you. 
It may be one day you're walking along the street and you see somebody that reminds you of your past. It may be that you're riding along and you go by a certain place that reminds you of your past. And boom, guilt is back if you try to bury it. It might just simply be that just out of the blue, you think about it. It can even be in a church service, maybe even when a certain lesson is mentioned, maybe even right now, and it comes to your mind because you've stuck it back there and you tried to bury it. Boom, there it is. There's the pain. Now, we try to bury our guilt in many ways. Some of us try to minimize it. And what I mean by that is we just say, you know, it's really no big deal what I've done. Well, if it's not a big deal, why do we keep thinking about it? Some of us, as we try to bury it, we rationalize the sin that we have committed. We look at ourselves and we say, well, look, look at what I've done, look at what they've done. And what I've done is not near as bad as what they've done. And we can always find somebody in life that's done something worse than we can. And so we try to push it on down the line. We try to rationalize it. But you see, that doesn't make sense to our conscience. And then if we don't try to uh, rationalize it, if we don't try to minimize it, we compromise. And I've seen this over and over. We compromise and we say, well... Things that we used to think were bad, we say, I don't think it's that bad now. And I've seen that happen over and over again. And we begin to accept that which is wrong, and we accept it to be right so we can soothe our conscience. Somehow, some way, we can keep bearing and putting that guilt and that sin uh, behind us. I love this passage in Proverbs 28. Tell me I got offline. Let me get back here. Can you help me out up there? Go to Proverbs 28, verse 13, if you don't mind, sir. Proverbs 28, 13 says, listen to it. He who covers his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them, will have mercy. He who covers his sin will not prosper. So, a lot of times, the reason why we keep that guilt and it keeps coming back is because we try to bury it. And another way we try to, to deal with guilt is we just blame. We're the blamingest bunch of folks in America that I've ever seen. Nothing's ever our fault. We blame here, we blame there. But I guess we get it honest, don't we? Remember Adam? Lord, the woman, that you, God, you set me up. You gave me. So I guess we get it honest about just being able to, to blame here and to blame there. We love to accuse other people for the wrong in our life and excuse ourselves. And we think sometimes that's the way you deal with it. I know you... Work. Some of you have worked in prison ministry and continue to work in prison ministry. And one of the things that always amaze me about those guys in white is that you can go there and you can talk to them, and I've never met one that said it was their fault. It was always the lawyer. It was always the judge. It was always somebody else that they were hanging around. But it wasn't them. We're so much like them in this life. You see, the easiest thing in the world to do 
is to blame people. When guilt raises its ugly head in our heart, in our mind, and the pain is there because of our past, the easiest thing to do is just blame somebody else, and it helps us to soothe the pain for a little while. I'll tell you another thing that we, we do. We try to berate ourselves. And I see this so often in the church, and this may be a description of where you are tonight. As I said, you have been forgiven, but you feel that what you have done in your life is so bad, and it's so horrible, there's no way in the world God could ever use you. And you feel like maybe, just maybe, the only way you can ever get into heaven is to feel so sorry and so bad for yourself that maybe God will look at you and have mercy on you and let you in because you feel so bad. In Brazil, and I know that you've had some work in Brazil as well, down in uh, the city of Hesifi, uh, worked out of the school of Ebenezer there for a little while, and we would go out and, and we would uh, visit, and we worked in a children's home outside there in a place called Paulista. And down beside the children's home is a place, it's a big compound where the spiritualists live, and they're strange people. And you can go, and they'll let you come in, and you'll see some of those spiritualists, and they're out there on the, on these, you know, you're just two hours south of the equator. They're on these stones out there, and they're trying to purge themselves because they've been so horrible, and they're so bad, and they'll out there for hours in pain. You can go into their temple, and as you go into their temple, you'll find uh, those people in there, and they've got whips, and they're beating themselves on the back because they're trying to get the sin because they've been so bad and horrible, and they think that's the only way you can deal with it. And we look at that, and you can see pictures of that, and you say, man, how, how can anybody do that? And yet so often in our lives, that's how we handle guilt. That's exactly the way we deal with it. We just think the only way we can deal with it is just to put ourselves down so much. And hopefully God will forgive us. Those are the three big ways that we try to deal with the guilt in our life. But that's not how God wants us to deal with it. And if we want to be able to have that blessedness of those whose sins have been forgiven, you got to do it God's way. And what's God's way? Well, let's look at that. First of all, you got to admit, you got to admit that you got a problem. You got to admit you got sin in your life. I don't know, maybe to me, this is the most painful thing about dealing with the guilt in your life. And that's just, that's just coming clean. Coming clean with yourself and coming clean with God. There I go again. I'm sorry, go back two more for, uh, for me, if you don't mind. Thank you. Notice what the psalmist said in Psalms 32, verse 5. He said, I acknowledge my sin to you. That's what you got to do if you want to deal with it. And my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin, Salah. Think about that. There's a beautiful word there, that word that's used when he says confess. Let me tell you, when you admit that you've done wrong, I don't care how bad it is, I don't care how long you've done it, God's not shocked because God already knows about it. You see, the purpose of confession is not for God. The purpose of confession is for you. 
When you look in the Greek word for confession, it's homo logeo, it's two words. Homo, same, logeo, to speak. And what confession is, is to speak the same thing as God. What real confession is, is when you see yourself as God sees you. Now, once we get to the point in our life that we see ourselves as God sees us, then God can deal with us. And we can start to deal with the guilt in our life. Some of you may be more um, in interaction with addiction programs than I am, but I know, do know this. That one of the first things that you have to do in any addiction program is you got to admit it, right? They can't help you with alcohol. They can't help you with the drugs. They can't help you with the sexual addiction or whatever it might be. They can't help you unless you first come clean with yourself. And so the way you begin with in God's appointed way is you just got to admit it. You say, I have sinned. Some of the hardest words in the world to say. But after you admit it, you got to go the second step. Now, I know some people who say, okay, I've done wrong. But they never really deal with the guilt of their life because you have to go to this next one. And that is that you have to accept God's forgiveness. You have to accept God's forgiveness in God's appointed way. We understand that. You're the Wednesday night crowd. We understand that God has designed a way where we come and we, we let all out to God. We admit it. We confess it. We see ourselves as God sees us. We're willing to change our heart and our mind. And we come and, and we do as we find in Romans 6 and 1 through 4. And we're buried. We participate in the death of Jesus by baptism. Because it was there, John 19, that he shed his blood. And the blood of Jesus takes care of our sins. And John tells us in 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us. As we're Christians, as long as we're doing the best we can in serving God, the blood is there to take care of us. We understand that. And that is God's appointed way. As I said, this is the Wednesday night crowd, and you know that. But here's something that sometimes we don't understand, and I really didn't understand. I really didn't understand until a few years into my ministry. And that is how complete God's forgiveness is. When you began to look at the Scriptures and you began to see the beautiful, powerful passages in the Bible of what it's like when God forgives you, it'll change you. It'll get you out of your pew if you're paralyzed. It'll put a smile on your face and you'll see the blessedness and the happiness of the forgiveness of your sins once you understand what it's really, 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 really like for God to forgive you. Folks, let me tell you, when God forgives you, He forgives you completely. Now that's hard for us because a lot of us, we don't want to forgive anybody completely, do we? Because we want to have something back here, you know, in our back pocket just in case we need it. Well, I'll forgive you this far, but that's not God. Some of the most beautiful, powerful passages of Scripture in the Bible on forgiveness, they're found in the Old Testament, believe it or not. But before we go to the Old Testament, let's look at one or two in the New Testament. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ 
Jesus. You know what that means? It means that when we become a child of God and we accept God's forgiveness and God's appointed way, it means that he wipes the slate clean. When I think of this verse, I think about when I was a kid and we had, had those etch-a-sketches. You remember those? I don't know if they still make them or not. But you could take those things, and I would always make a mess on them. I couldn't make them look like the box, you know, had the pictures or the writing or whatever. And, and all you had to do was what? You just turned it upside down and you shook it, and poof, it was all gone. Well, that's the meaning behind what Paul says here when he says, therefore, is now is now no condemnation. The slate is simply wiped clean. I love this passage, 1 Corinthians 6. You go back up to verse 9. Paul was writing to people who had lived some horrible lives, done some sinful things, more horrible than maybe the life you've lived, more sinful than maybe the life you've lived. More than likely, that's the case. I mean, there's a long list of horrible, terrible things that these people have done in their life. But Paul writes them. And you see in verse 10, uh, I partial. Let's go go back to verse 9 and look at the bad stuff that these people had done. But then notice what he said. He said, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. And you were justified just as if you never sinned. Now, folks, I don't think many of us here would measure up to any of these things in this list. But these people, because they had accepted God's forgiveness and God's appointed way, they were sanctified. They were justified. But let's go to the Old Testament. As I said, some of the most beautiful, powerful passages of what it's like when God forgives you is in the Old Testament. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, that's powerful. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say as far as the north is from the south. You see, if I were to come to you, and I were to ask you, how far it is from the north to the south, I know what you would do. You'd get that phone out and you'd say, I tell you, here's how far it is. Here's how many miles from the north pole to the south pole. But even though you had that smart, uh, uh, you know, phone with you, and you had it, I, I, could, I could stump you. I could say, well, how far is it from the east to the west? You couldn't give me an answer. Because you see, there is no east pole and there is no west pole, Right? In other words, what David is saying here is, he says, you, you think in your mind of an indescribable distance, the farthest distance, the farthest distance that you can imagine in your mind. And he says, you know what happens? When God forgives you, he takes that sin, that guilt, no matter how many, no matter how bad, and he casts it as far from you and him as you can imagine in your mind. You know, when you start going east, you always go east, don't you? You never turn around and start going west. When you start going west, you'll always go west. If you start going north, there's going to come a time you're going to go south. An indescribable distance. Maybe we say, David, wow, thank you. Thank you for that tremendous example. 
God takes my sins and he puts them for me as far as I can imagine in my mind. Look at this one. Indeed, it was for me, my own peace, that I had bitterness, but you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption, but you have cast all my sins behind your back. When God forgives you, He takes those sins, no matter how many, no matter how bad, and He casts them behind His back, never to see them again. Wow. Look at this one. We say, Isaiah, that's a pretty good illustration. Can you give us another one? Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Scarlet was known in biblical times as the double-dyed color. To get a piece of cloth, scarlet in color, you had to double-dye it. That meant that every piece of fiber, every piece of that fabric, every piece of that material was completely and totally saturated in the color of scarlet. Isaiah says, you know what? Though your life is completely, every cell, every membrane in your life is completely covered with sin. When you accept the forgiveness that God gives you, He takes that double-dyed sin life of yours, he makes it white as snow. I like that white as snow. I think of when I was a boy, I grew up over in the Florence area, up in Green Hill, and uh, sometimes we'd go to the garbage dump. You don't go to the garbage dump to visit, do you? I mean, you go and you take care of your business and you get out of there. And when you go to the garbage dump, there's always a stench, Right? And it's a horrible sight. There's garbage everywhere, and there's a fire going, and, and it's horrible. You ever been to a garbage dump after there's been a big, beautiful, fresh snow during the night? The smell is gone. The fire is gone. And God's taken that horrible, terrible piece of landscape. He made something beautiful out of it. Isaiah says that's what it's like when you accept the forgiveness of God. Isaiah says God can take your garbage dump filled life of sin and you come and you accept his forgiveness in his appointed way, he'll make it white as snow. He'll make a beautiful, beautiful picture out of your life. Wow. Then there's that passage by Jeremiah their sin I will remember no more. Have you ever really stopped and thought about that? We know that passage. Have you ever really stopped and thought about it? Here is the omniscient God, the all-knowing God. And there's one thing that God chooses not to remember in your life. And that's those low-down, dirty, rotten things that you have said and you've done in your past. Isn't that amazing? Remembers them. No more. Then I like this one. I really do. Micah. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. In the Hebrew, it literally reads, into the deepest part of the sea. Now, some of you folks know that out in the Pacific Ocean, there's a place that's seven miles deep. Probably the deepest part of the ocean. 
just imagine we're on a cruise. We're on a cruise ship, and we're going across right at this place where it's seven miles deep. And all of a sudden, I'm out there with my watch, and I got it in my hand. It's a special watch. My wife gave it to me, and all of a sudden, there comes a wave, and I lose it, and it falls overboard. And it goes down, 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 seven miles to the ocean floor. Now, what would you think of me if I said, Hey, Captain! Hey, Captain! Stop this ship! we got to get my watch! You'd say, you one crazy preacher, right? Why? Because that watch is gone. And it's gone forever. Wow! Isn't that amazing? That's what God does for our sins when we accept His forgiveness. No matter how bad, no matter how many. Someone has said that when God forgives us, He takes all of our sins and He puts them in a box. For some of us, it'd have to be a pretty big box, wouldn't it? And He takes the scarlet ribbon of His love and His grace and He just wraps it all around the box and He ties a double knot into it. That Almighty God with His almighty strength cast that box behind His back. And it goes as far as you can imagine in your mind. And eventually, finally, it falls into the deepest part of the sea. And God puts up a no fishing sign. And he forgets where it is. Now once we start understanding that, about what God has done for us and the forgiveness of God, now you admit it, you understand it and accept it, you can start dealing with the guilt of your past. Here's the third and final thing. You've got to do this one too. You've got to absolve. Folks, you've got to learn to forgive yourself. I know a lot of Christians, and they've admitted it. They've accepted God's forgiveness, and the problem is they've never forgiven themselves. You see, once God has forgiven us, He doesn't want us to focus on the past. He wants us to look to the future. I'm going to run through some scripture very quickly because I know my time is getting away from me. But one thing I noticed one day, just when you look in the Old Testament, you see all these powerful illustrations of what it's like when God forgives us. There's some powerful illustrations of what God wants us to do and what we can become, even though we've done horrible things. God, through His prophets, would say to Israel, who had done horrible, terrible things, once again, things that you probably would think of doing, and God would say to them, Israel, come back. You come back. And Israel, if you'll come back, I'll make you better, and I'll make you greater than ever. It's the thing we have to understand. Whatever we've done in the past, God's given us a ministry. And God has given us the opportunity through all the horrible things we've done in our past to use that in a far greater powerful way for Him. 
If we will, look at these passages. I love some of these phrases here. Do not remember the former things he's speaking to Israel, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even, I love that phrase, I'll make a road in the wilderness. And I'll put a river in your desert. Not only does God want to do that to Israel, but He wants to do that for you, your life, and my life. God wants us to take us and take those things that have happened to us, and He wants to use us in a far more powerful way. He says, you just forgive yourself, and I'll tell you what I do. You get up, and you look to the future, and you just serve me, and I'll put a road in the wilderness of your life, and I'll put a river in your desert. Love this one. To console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes. <laughs> That's what God does for us. When we accept His forgiveness, we forgive ourselves. It's a garment of praise for the Spirit of heaviness. And I love this phrase, that they may be called trees of righteousness. Look, I don't know what you've done. I know how bad it is. And it may, have been, it may have kept you on the pew and kept you filled with guilt and kept you paralyzed from serving God in all your life. But you know what you become? In the eyes of God, when you take that and you use it as a ministry in your life, He says, I make you a tree of righteousness. Wow. Beautiful. Powerful. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust. My great army, which I said among you, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. That's a promise that he made to Israel. It's a promise that God makes to you and to me in our lives. You see, folks, it's never too late to start all over again. And serving God. We sit around and we say, well, I've, all, I've done this and it's so horrible. And I guess I'll just have to live the rest of my life just sitting in the pew. And, and just maybe somehow, some way, God will forgive me. Listen, God loves second chances. And God wants to forgive you more than you want to ask Him for forgiveness. Because that's the kind of God that He is. We say, well, Brother Hines, you know, you don't understand what I've done, man. Listen, Brother Hines, you can't unscramble eggs. No, but you can make an omelet out of them. And God will help you to do that in your life. And he'll put a river in your desert. And he'll put a road in your wilderness. And he'll take the ashes of your life make it greater than ever. He'll make it beautiful. He will make you a tree of righteousness. You see, folks, today I don't know where you are, but when you accept God's forgiveness, it's not, it's not where you've been, but it's where you're going. That's all that really, really matters with God. Maybe here's a good way to sum it up. We know that passage. Jesus is on the cross. 
So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it's finished. We understand that. The word there is tell eo. Tell eo was a word that was used in several ways. You've probably heard your preachers here talk about it. It was used when a bill was paid in full. Tell eo. It was uh, written on a decree once a prisoner had served his EOS, his end of sentence, his full time. And on the papers, after he had paid the debt to society, they were right, tell hell. It's finished. That's what happened to your sins and my sins. The bill was paid. You remember back in January uh, when you got your utility bill? I remember when we got ours, you know, I'm just a poor little preacher. You know, I'm a poor little Church of Christ preacher. And I saw that thing and said, hey, we're going to pay for that. And uh, you did too, probably. It was January or February. But somehow, somewhere you paid it, right? Now, let me ask you something. Have you thought about that bill since you paid it? Because it's been paid. The debt's been paid. And it hasn't held you back, and it hasn't caused you sleepless nights, has it? Because you know the bill has been paid. Listen, Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross, so we don't have to nail ourselves to the cross. Jesus Christ was crucified for us, so we don't have to crucify ourselves. Wow. How you deal with guilt in God's appointed way? You come clean. You admit it. You accept God's forgiveness and understand what that forgiveness is all about. And you absolve. You pick yourself up and you forgive yourself because God has a plan and God has a ministry for you. And more than likely, it's the ministry to deal with people who are going through what you went through in the past. And he says, I'll make you a tree of righteousness. Wow. And folks, that's how you erase guilt. And that's how you deal with it. And when you do, God will take you. I, I wish I had the time. I think my time is up. Is that right? Got two minutes. Oh, man. Uh, I wish I had the time to tell you about some of these inmates. Siegfried can tell you about them. I'll tell you about one. There's a guy that comes to the church at Hartsville today, and he was in prison for 15 years, 15 and a half years. I went over to Limestone and got him the day he got out. In Kilby Prison, Kilby Prison, he became a Christian, was baptized. 
He decided he was going to serve the Lord. This guy has done some very horrible, terrible things. Once again, things that you would never do in your life. During his 15 and a half year prison sentence, he baptized 167 inmates. 167. You think a guy, if there's anybody God couldn't use, it'd be something like him. And I'm not going to tell you all the things he's done, but they're bad. That God has used him in such a tremendous way. And he could have sat down like a lot of us and said, oh, look at what I've done. He's spoken in different places. He's spoken to youth groups since he's gotten out. He's served the Lord. God can do that to a person like that. He can do it to you as well. Let us never forget the wonderful grace and mercy 